Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Arno, and this is the first episode of October's The Nerdologue Presents Your Stories Podcast. This month, we're looking back at the year 1993, which was indeed 20 years ago. Yes, I know, you all feel old now. I get it. Uh, joining us this time are storytellers Kevin Reeder, Sawyer Heppies, Matthew Sudman, and Charlie Madsen, and they've all got great reflections to share on the topic. Plus, as usual, you're getting music from me, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Our next Your Stories recording is this Sunday, October 20th at the Public House Theater. The theme of the show is Other Options, so if that makes you think of something you want to share, come on down to the pub, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago, at 7pm, or just come enjoy a great free show. Uh, also guys, don't forget that there are other great Nerdalogs podcasts to listen to, including the Nerdalogcast and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith. Right now we're running a contest of sorts. If you rate and review any one of our three shows on iTunes, you could be the f- on the first live recording of the Nerdalogcast. You'll also be the first non-Nerdalogs guest on that show. All you have to do is say something nice about us on the internet, which I know is super hard, but we appreciate you guys doing it. Uh, as always, thanks everyone for listening, and do enjoy. We're going to sing songs, uh, this might surprise you, that come from the year 1993, but, but first, we have uh, Claire Friedman joining us, and uh, Nerdalogs members Andrew Bentley and Mary Beth Smith, the titular MBSing with Mary Beth Smith. Uh, Claire, do you want to set up what we're about to do? Yeah, so um, this is essentially just a reprise of the opening sketch from our sketch show last week, uh, and just for the setup so we don't have to act out the beginning... Imagine, if you will, that we are in a modern-day BuzzFeed office with a microphone, and uh, a girl has just been instructed to write a BuzzFeed-esque listicle about the year 1993 in which she was born. And there is an audience participation part, and oh, yeah. we'll try to indicate when you're supposed to sing, but you'll pick it up. Dwight's in charge of that. The line is, these are all the things we know from 1993. Okay, now that you've been properly briefed, let's, let's do this. <laughs> Racking up some pages from nostalgia is my full-time job. A writer's all I ever wanted to be. I spend all day on top ten lists of cat pictures and movie gifts, and yet I don't know anything from 1993. These are all the things we know from 1993. Power Rangers, baby dolls, personal lines and payphone calls, grunge rock, glam pop, rap on MTV. Jurassic Park and rollerblades, Schindler's List and high top fades. The first Trade Center bombing was in 1993. These are all the things we know from 1993. Windows NT 3.1, Chicago Bulls are champions, Hawking's a brief history of time. Beanie Babies, Deep Space Nine, Israel and Palestine. The Oslo Accords were signed in 1993. These are all the things we know from 1993. 60 
minutes was the most popular show. Branch Davidian cult was burned alive. X-Files the fugitive, Audrey Hepburn did not give a shit about this because she died in January of 1993 was 20 years ago. I was just a baby and everyone I know who reads this won't remember but they'll pretend they do cause people love nostalgia so they'll pretend they do Clay Friedman wrote that guy Beth's dulcet tones on iTunes every Wednesday. Am I supposed to stay up here? Yeah, because yeah. we're doing this guy. Okay. The most yeah. recent episode featured Eric Garneau. That's true. A boo. He talks about Bruce Springsteen. Shocker. Uh, I can't hide my love. I'm sorry. Bruce Springsteen didn't release an album in 1993, though, so you guys are safe. You're safe for tonight. Um, so this is a song. True story. This was originally, this group was a white power group. What? Yes, that's true. And then they decided to ditch that aspect of their, their uh, persona to find mainstream success. But we don't agree with that, so we're going to call them a Dwight Power group. Yeah. <laughs> Dwight Power. All right. One, two, three, four. Baby! 
power. Woo! Ace of base. I remember driving around with my uh, step family like in 1993. We were on vacation and that tape had just come out and my stepsister would play that tape incessantly and as a result I owned the tape and I also listened to it incessantly. Uh, that wasn't my proudest moment of, of musical fandom. Anyway... We're going to get to the stories with Nerdlog's member who rarely speaks. This is like uh, seeing a groundhog. Like, it only happens, like, once or twice a year. Uh, with the, That wasn't a good analogy. Anyway, Kevin Reeder! <laughs> there was a good analogy in there somewhere. I just didn't find it. You found it, buddy. Uh, uh, groundhog Day. Uh, that came out in 1993. Yes, it did. Uh, interesting fact there. Did a lot of research about 1993, even though we all lived it. I had to go back and research it uh, for the show that we did. Um, yeah, normally I, I try not to tell stories at these because I, I love listening to other people's stories. So thank you guys for always sharing stories with us. It's, it's really a beautiful thing for me to be able to sit in the back of the room in the dark and watch you. Okay, okay, that was a joke. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, 2013 uh, actually marked the 20th year that I have been wearing glasses. So the first year that I started wearing glasses was in 1993. Um, and that that was really, uh, it was a big change, you know, for, for a young kid at, at the age of 10 to, to start wearing glasses because... At that time, I think, you know, there were a lot of uh, stereotypes that were being thrown around for, for kids wearing glasses. I, I don't have to look very far. I see a lot of us are all wearing glasses, too. So I know I'm not alone in that. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, so anyways, uh, this is really, I just wanted to compile a, a short list of, of memories um, for my four-eyed friends out in the audience tonight. Uh, so here's a, here's a list of 20 memories and thoughts um, uh, from a guy who's been, been wearing glasses for 20 years. So uh, here we go. My first pair of glasses were the wrong prescription, and I had to take them back. Uh, my first pair of glasses were silver, and I wanted them to look like my father's. Uh, my first pair of glasses, I sat on and broke them. And then when my mom asked, I said, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Played it off. Uh, playing soccer in the rain and not being able to see. Sweating on your glasses. Running with glasses on any time for anything. It's terrible. Uh, the first day I wore contacts, I couldn't get them out of my eyes, so I cried in frustration until they fell out. Uh, every time you walk into the room uh, from it being cold outside, your glasses fog up. Every time you walk inside when it's raining outside, your glasses fog up. Smudges, scratches, tape on the nose. Uh, this question, are you blind? Uh, hearing this statement, you must be smart. Uh, hearing this question, can I try on your glasses? <laughs> no, get out of here. <laughs> uh, clip-on sunglasses. Uh, those sunglasses that go over your regular glasses. Anybody have those? I did. Oh, boy. Uh, falling asleep and rolling over them while you're asleep. Falling asleep and having your mom take them off when, you, when you're asleep so you don't roll over them. And uh, then subsequently... Waking up and not remembering where you put them. Uh, so that's a, a list of 20 things. So if everyone would uh, take off their glasses and uh, raise them up high, and, uh, <laughs> and we can just do, a, just do a cheers. So cheers. Cheers. I can't read the rest of what I wrote. So. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Um, I weirdly, I feel like the minority because I don't wear glasses or contacts. Like, is there anyone else here who has no corrective shit in their eyes? 
Okay, so I guess I'm just not talking to the right people. Most of the circles I roll in, I'm I'm two eyes. Anyway, uh, so coming up next, we have a a regular storyteller and a great dude. He also hosts a podcast called OC Dweeb that I was just on. Talked about my favorite Marvel graphic novel. It's called God Loves Man Kills. It's super good. Anyway, Sawyer Happies. Speaking of Dwight Power, um, God Love Man Kills is very relevant, too. Um, uh, FYI, I was going to dress this way anyways. <laughs> it's fall weather, so everyone dressed like they're in the 90s in the fall. And I feel the need to also turn my seat around like A.C. Slater when I'm dressed in 90s gear. Uh, okay, so mine is actually going to be a little bit of a call response. Uh, I was hoping there's going to be a lot more people here, so hopefully this will still work. Um, but I, instead of limiting myself to 1993, have opened myself up to the entire decade of the 90s for those of us who were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. So uh, this is going to be a little bit of like a Jeff Foxworthy bit here. Uh, if I'm going to say it, and then the, the response will be born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. Uh, if you're doing a call and response for a comedy bit... You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. Uh, turns out Jeff Foxworthy's job is not that hard. Uh, <laughs> if you participated in Book It, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you had one or more parties at Chuck E. Cheese, DZ Discovery Zone, or some sort of laser tag event, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you drove a Power Wheels, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you read Goosebumps, Boxcar Kids, Animorphs, and American Girl Doll Adventures, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. <laughs> someone's, someone's definitely born then. Uh, <laughs> if you had an American Girl Doll, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you were poor and had a Cabbage Patch Kid or Pound Puppies or Mighty Max, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you had an orange video cassette. You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If your idea was cool, of cool, was Uncle Jesse, even though he didn't tweet you a happy birthday, no matter how many times you politely ask him to, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If your frame of reference for old sitcoms was Nick at Night, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If If you felt old once you found out Fresh Prince was on Nick at Night... You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you once considered the Fresh Prince your favorite rapper, you were born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. If pies and or slime were considered a comedic staple in your funny diet, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If your TV hosts were Mike O'Malley, Summer Sanders, Mark Summers, and Stick Stickley, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you know what the agricrag or the pie pod is, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you'd like to take the physical challenge, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If someone sings, you're all I've ever wanted, and people respond, you're all I ever needed. Apparently not. (laughs) You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you wore neon sunglasses... You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you owned a Game Boy or a Sega Game Gear and all its accessories, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you think TGIF was the best television lineup of all time, 
You were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. If you wished Mr. Feeney was your mentor, Sean Hunter was your best friend, Topanga was your girlfriend, and felt a kindred spirit with Corey Matthews, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. Here's a big one. If you watched Tiny Toons, Bobby's World, Tailspin, Doug, Ren and Stimpy, Darkwing Duck, Tasmania, Rugrats, Batman the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series, SWAT Cats, Animaniacs, Bonkers, Beavis and Butthead, Two Stupid Dogs, Rocco's Modern Life, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog, The Critic, Gargoyle, Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, Spider-Man, Reboot, All Real Monsters, The Tick, Pinky and the Brain, Freakazoid, Captain Planet, Cow and Chicken, Road Rovers, Dexter's Lab, Hey Arnold, Arthur, Superman... Angry Beavers, Johnny Bravo, Daria, King of the Hill, South Park, Hysteria, Powerpuff Girls, Courage the Cowardly Dog, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Home Movies, SpongeBob SquarePants, Batman Beyond, Rocket Power, Family Guy, Futurama, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Mega Man, Fantastic Four, Adam's Family the Animated Series, Beetlejuice the Animated Series, Digimon, Digital Monsters, Eek the Cat, Pirates of Darkwater, The Simpsons, Captain Planet, Biker Mice from Mars, just to name a few, you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I don't think Beast Wars are on that list either. Oh, there was so many. I was like, we would be here all night if I really wanted to list off. Awesome. That was so much nostalgia. And oh, having Kelly Kapowski on your shirt just yeah. made it so much more salient. Uh, come next, we have a brand new storyteller to this event, Mr. Matthew Sudman. be channeling the spirit of the 90s by not using an iPad or iPhone to read. Uh, paper. Yeah. I'm, I'm living in 1993, apparently. All right, so I'm going to start this talk a little circuitously, as I want to do, um, starting with 1993 in general for film. Um, it's not the murderer's row that 1994 is going to be, so next year when we do this podcast, um, you know, there's going to be... I mean, it was really an amazing year. You had the, the Lion King, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank. All three of Jim Carrey's breakout movies were 1994. Um, but 1993 is still a pretty good year. Um, mostly because Steven Spielberg released both Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, which when you think about it is like impossible. Like, how did that happen? Um, and then, you know, Jurassic Park was the number one grossing movie of the year. It made a colossal amount of money, um, about $500 million in today's dollars. And even if you don't adjust for inflation, it would have been the highest grossing movie as recently as 2007 um, of any particular year. But, um, you know, and then, you know, in the box office top ten, you know, two movies didn't even crack $100 million. When, and now it's like, you know, be $200 million. Um, and the top ten even includes, like, these really square adult dramas, like Indecent Proposal and The Pelican Brief. So we have, you know, John Grisham. People flock to the movies to see John Grisham adaptations, um, which is unthinkable now. Um, but uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about a 1993 movie that was just outside the top ten commercially, um, just as it wasn't quite critically acclaimed, um, in its time, and of course, I'm talking about Groundhog Day, um, which I can see is very, very popular here. Um, as it is with me, it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, so, I, has is there anybody here who has not seen Groundhog Day? 
Okay. But but you know what it's about, right? Like you 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 know what it's about. You you could say what it's about, right? Because that's how popular it is. No. Okay. Okay. Well, fortunately, I I did I did have the consideration to include a, a minor synopsis. So. Um, so basically, Bill Murray plays this jerk weatherman from Pittsburgh. He goes to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day to see if the groundhog sees a shadow. He hates it there. It's a hick town. He doesn't like his coworkers. People generally don't like him back. They kind of tolerate him. Uh, and then at the end of the day, there's a massive blizzard, so he can't leave town. He's stuck there. So he goes to sleep. The next morning, he wakes up, and it's Groundhog Day again. And everybody's behaving the same way. Except for him. He's the only one that realizes that the day repeated itself. And this happens over and over and over again. Um, and it, it's sort of, you know, it's become part of the cultural lexicon where, you know, if there's a situation where anybody's involved in a time loop, um, you know, they just, you know, naturally reference Groundhog Day. Um, and I know Groundhog Day is my favorite movie, not just because I love it, but because I can remember my entire history behind it. Um, which would actually take place in 1994, but it's still a 1993 movie. Um, like my favorite movies, books, TV shows, bands, anything about it, I can remember the exact context around how I first experienced it. Um, so with Groundhog Day, I first saw it in spring break in 1994 uh, in a hotel room in Florida. Um, it was a Orlando, I think my family, we were going to uh, Universal Studios, um, we didn't have cable at the time, so hotels were kind of like my one access <laughs> to to cable television, and then HBO, which would be like a really big deal because you know the the premium channels, and and Groundhog Day was on, and so we all decided to watch it because none of my family had seen it before. Um, we could have rented it earlier uh, from the video store uh, earlier in the year, but instead I had chosen to rent Surf Ninjas instead. <laughs> um, so obviously I, I wouldn't develop as a cinephile until after I was nine years old. Um, so that, that hadn't quite happened yet. But um, And then the weird thing is that like I don't really remember much about when I was that age. Like I can't really remember the names of my teachers or you know like school projects or you know what I did that summer, but I know exactly about watching Groundhog Day for the first time. Um, and I remember that it was the first movie that impacted me emotionally. I mean, Groundhog Day is, it's a comedy, it's a romantic comedy even, which is a genre that, you know, I never like. But it goes to some very dark places. Um, you know, there's a scene where, you know, Bill Murray attempts to kill himself multiple times just to escape, and it never works. And then there's this old man who... Uh, he's a beggar, and Groundhog Day is essentially his day to die. He dies of natural causes, and no matter what Bill Murray does, whether it's feeding him or taking him to the hospital, he just always dies. And it, it's really sad, and it really impacted me back then. And it was, you know, the, the first time that a movie had made me feel that way before. Um, and, you know, it's also, you know, kind of sentimental, but, you know, there's something really inspiring about how you know, Bill Murray's character arc, where he gradually, over the course of the movie, learns how to become a better person and, like, you know, impact everybody's life that he can in a positive way. You know, it's just a very, a very, you know, rich way to live your life. Um, and so, in the coming years, you know, it would be on, you know, like, TV all the time. And so, I actually taped it off TV 
you know, on VHS to, to rewatch it. Um, and then I, I finally bought the DVD a couple years ago, you know, just sort of out of principle. Um, and then I, I even wrote a paper about Groundhog Day in high school uh, for my AP English class about how Bill Murray's character represents the Jungian anima, the uh, or the the Jungian uh, animus, you know, all of the, the you know male qualities, and then Andy McDowell's character is the Jungian anima, the the female qualities, and that you know over the course of the movie, it's it's his characteristics, you know, she is a positive influence on him, and it becomes, and he's allowed to become a better self, you know, with the capital S self, um, and not be stuck there anymore. So. Um, that, that just goes to show how I kind of think of things. Um, and then the, the really weird thing was that at the time, it, it took me years to realize it was my favorite movie. Um, yeah, for the longest time, I thought Star Wars was my favorite movie. Um, and, you know, it, but that's really just the trilogy, the original trilogy. And it's really just sort of like the good bits and pieces from all of them. You know, because really, you know, The Empire Strikes Back is kind of dark and boring. And Return of the Jedi has got the Ewoks. And the first one, you know, Luke's whiny. So it's like, individually, they're not that great. It's really as a whole that you like them. So when I was saying that Star Wars was my favorite movie, I didn't really mean it. Um, And then eventually, in high school or, or college, I was like, okay, wait a second. You know, somebody asked me what it was. I was like, yeah, it's Groundhog Day. Um, and I'm not the only one. You know, it's, um, Roger Ebert lists it among the great movies. It's, was marked for preservation by the Library of Congress as being, uh, culturally, historically, or socially significant. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it, reputation grows over time, which I, I think is, you know, not just for Groundhog Day, but any movie, because it seems like most of what I've been seeing lately, the more, I think about it, the less I like it. You know, like, especially like stuff this summer, like, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness, or Now You See Me, where you see it, it was like, okay, that was an alright movie, but then afterwards you're just like, oh my god, I, I hated it. <laughs> um, and then this is the really funny thing about Groundhog Day. Uh, my favorite movie, as I've told everybody, is that I haven't watched it in years. Um, you know, I, even, you know, writing this, it was like, oh, I could go back and rewatch it and really, you know, get some interesting notes, and I didn't. Uh, I mean, partly because I don't have to. I mean, I could probably recite the entire thing backwards and forwards. Um, and, you know, when I said earlier that I bought the DVD, well, it's still in the shrink wrap. Um, so I don't know what this means. I mean, is it not my favorite movie anymore? Like, is something going to replace it in a year or two? Um, will I not like it as much if I watch it again? Um you know, and why say that I have a favorite movie? You know, I, um, it, it's not like, you know, when you lo- like love like a movie or something, you know, it, it's pretty much, you know, these arbitrary lists and things. It's, it's, you know, it's just a way to, you know, rank stuff and, you know, create discussions. It's not really like, oh, you know, my unconditional love for this is different than my unconditional love for that. Um, you know, and then, you know, if I was given right now the choice between watching Groundhog Day and Commando, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, where he literally throws a steel pipe through a man's chest wearing a chainmail S&M vest, I would pick Commando, you know. So does that mean Commando's my favorite movie right now? No, I don't think so. Maybe. Um, 
you know, we could get into the whole argument about, you know, guilty pleasures and whether they're actually just plain pleasures. But, you know, it's not worth getting into. Um, and then even, you know, about movies themselves, like lately, you know, there's just so much good TV out there. That's what I've been watching. And I can think like, you know, any, you know, Breaking Bad or The Wire or Mad Men, like all of these things, like I've pretty much enjoyed more than most movies I've seen lately. So, you know, it's, you know, it was, I was thinking about, you know, Groundhog Day and my favorite movie, you know, you get to this not existential dilemma, but just sort of like, well, are my, you know, tastes and choices changing irrefutably? Um, but in the long run, no. Um, I think Groundhog is going to stay my favorite movie, at least for a while, and if it's not, that's fine. Um, because, you know, I've, I've kind of lived with it. Um, you know, it's been part of my life, and it, it means something to me in the sense that I can recount, you know, my personal history, and that, you know, the, the weird thing about me is, you know, if I'm obviously, you know, comparing it to these, you know, weird psychological things, the way that I express appreciation for something is to dissect it and look at all of its parts and really analyze it. And, you know, just how, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, art and stories, when you're creating your own stories around that, I think you've got something special. And so, Groundhog Day, my favorite movie. That is a great movie. I'm so not surprised that Hannah's was the that It's okay. She was only two in 1993, guys. No, I was three. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I so appropriate that the next storyteller is next, because uh, a couple months ago, Charlie Madsen told a great story about movies in 1999. So, Charlie, before you come up, what's your opinion of 93 in movies? It's a good year. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think you can... I agree with him that 94 is a murderous row of that era. Accord! Charlie <laughs> I'm not, we're not here to separate. I agree. Man. It's, uh, yeah, we sh- the bear should go. <laughs> <clears throat> Hi guys. So over the Labor Day weekend, I went to Fresno, California, to spend time with my lovely mother and my sharp but still 97 year old grandmother. I went because it's important for me to see family, and 90% of my family lives in Alaska, so I gotta see somebody. And again, she's 97, so I don't care about science, she's not gonna be around that long. <laughs> Lovely lady, though, very smart, she's funny. Uh, I went, and yes, I told you why I went. It was good to get away from the city, eat fresh produce and relax, but the real reason I went there, to be completely honest, was for the swimming pool. I had to go swimming. I needed to go swimming. Not at Fullerton Beach and not to rent a room at the Hyatt and use their Hyatt guest pool. No, I needed to swim in a quiet, private, clean body of water because I had to find myself. People who know me have heard my joke. Eight years old was the highlight for me and it has all been downhill ever since. It's supposed to garner a laugh. It obviously... (laughs) But it actually is kind of true. Yeah, In in spite of all the positive things in my life, and I have a good life, I still pine for being eight years old. And I don't know who I was before I was eight years old. 
but I've been this person ever since. It's when my personality actually surfaced and choices and opinions became real. The world just felt so much richer at that time. And that year, in the third grade, we had to draw the jobs that we wanted to be when we grew up. And I drew a line down the middle of the 11 by 17 paper. And on the left side was a stand-up comedian in front of a large theater wearing a yellow suit and a straw boater hat. Because <laughs> that's what comedians dressed like, in my mind. And on the right side, it was a movie poster for the action film I was starring in. And I was a detective in an alleyway, and it was a xenomorph pouncing down upon me. So, living the dream, guys. They really do come true. No, in, in this time, I found my persona, and I turned eight in June 1992. Uh, but in my mind, it's always been 93, just because that was at least half of it, really. I mean, 1993 was just an amazing year for me mentally and I always look so positively about it and like as I'm sitting in this pool all weekend on Labor Day I kept thinking about that summer but, and it all sort of blends together so if things are from 92 and 93 I don't care because it's all the same <laughs> like the Aladdin soundtrack I have on cassette and listening nonstop, X-Men on Fox Kids Jurassic Park and Saturday Night Live season 18 starring David Car- Dana Carvey Chris Farley Phil Hartman Mike Myers Kevin Nealon Chris Rock Rob Schneider Julia Sweeney Ellen Cleghorn Melanie Hutzel Tim Meadows Adam Sandler and David Spade but best of all in summertime we got to visit grandma in California and spend hours in her pool and 1994 was actually the last time that I swam there so naturally as I lay in a floaty bed buzzed on the Manhattans my mom made me <coughs> I felt like an eight-year-old again. <laughs> we drank a lot when we were young. No, uh, and, and I just sat there and, and entrenching myself in the water, and it's like it shed my cynical adult armor I spent years carrying around, and I just got to be me, uh, myself again. Now, I believe there are two types of nostalgia. There's private nostalgia, and then there's shared nostalgia. And, uh, these moments in the pool and in my grandmother's house, they're all inner private nostalgia and, you know, sense memory. Things that make me feel a certain way and no matter how much emotional honesty I put into my story tonight, it will only mean this thing to me. Other people may empathize, but they will never feel the same way I felt in these moments, obviously. And that's okay. Some parts of your life will only be valuable to you. You have to cherish that. And you can add only so many filters on Instagram, but people won't be able to smell the corduroy jacket your dad wore or know how it made you feel. That's always going to be yours. So James Cameron's Aliens will always remind me of the first night I watched it, August 27th, 1993. I know this date because my dad brought home Aliens on VHS, a liter of root beer, and a carton of ice cream because mom was out of town and we were going to have a boys' night <laughs> with an R-rated film. Now, I know this date specifically because my brother and I told my dad that we didn't want to watch Aliens. We wanted to watch the premiere of Briscoe County Jr. (laughs) Now, my father convinced us to watch Aliens, and he was right. It was the better choice. Uh, That will always make me think of the male Bonnie experience with that movie. Which is funny because it's really about the rape culture in the 1980s and liberated women getting finding their inner strength against the oppressive women who keep men in power. I mean, that's a story for another time, but needless to say, the alien queen is Nancy Reagan. 
So then the other nostalgia is the shared nostalgia. So every few months, there's that fucking BuzzFeed list, and the sole purpose is to remind you that time has passed. <laughs> it's a list that makes 24-year-olds go, oh, God, I'm so old. And 29-year-olds go, yeah, no, you're not. And 40-year-olds go, what's BuzzFeed? <laughs> so these lists that remind you of how popular the Super Scope and Massimo and Four Non Blondes and the Sandlot were. I mean, some people will say, wow, that was a while ago. But me, I just get angry when I see these things. I, I hate BuzzFeed in that sense. I, I say, yeah, a lot of things happened a while ago. That's how time works. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I hate it that there's just this fascination. They should get over the fascination of passing time. But then I calm down and I get over myself and I think to myself, we actually need this. We are all really just trying to connect with a youth that was really far away. I mean, things need to matter. We all need to go see Jurassic Park in the third dimension. Not only because it's awesome, but also because it transports us to the summer it came out, or whenever we watched it. It's a moment that we get to share. And we've grown apart from our friends and our family, and we now have new friends and new family. And we get older, and you know, you have fewer and fewer people that are there to get those references. Uh, references are like mileposts on a road that we've been traveling down. And so BuzzFeed lists, 20th anniversary 3D releases, and your stories are things that allow us to connect to shared moments in time. And sometimes for perspective and sometimes to be transported. But it makes us feel like what we did made sense and mattered and that we're all in the right place. So in 20 years, when the Nerdalogs TNG will be looking back at this wild, weird moments of 2003... And we'll all look knowingly at them and say, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. Thank you. <laughs> I imagine a hobbled old Kevin Reader and Chris Geiger just coming up to the stage, introducing the show with like a coffee, even though it's only going to be 20 yeah, years. 20 years. <laughs> Kevin will still be like the most physically fit person in the world. <laughs> so Dwight and Claire and I are in a band called Cover Stories. The song we've been doing at our shows that we've never done at your stories, and this show happened to be released in '93. Uh, Charlie actually referenced the band in his in his monologue. Um, this is actually my favorite song to do at cover story shows because I am so thrilled at how well Claire sings this. Oh no, it's, it's pretty great. So um, yeah, so here's some four non blondes action. Years out, life here still trying to get up that great big hill of hope for a destination. And I realized quickly, and I knew I would, that this world's made up of this brotherhood of man for whatever that means. And so I cry sometimes when I'm light and bare just to get it home. What's in my head and I, and I'm feeling a little peculiar And so I wake in the morning and I step outside And I take a deep breath and I get real And I scream the top of my lungs Oh, what's going on? Alright guys, come on And I say Hey, yeah, yeah Hey, yeah, yeah I said it 
Yes, I'm alive here still Trying to get up that Great big hill of hope For a destination Pretty cool, right? If you haven't seen the, the He-Man disco version of that It's super great It's worth it just for the part where Skeletor goes Try. <laughs> this has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.